Okay, you all can hear me? Yes, okay, great. Uh, tonight's class is dedicated in loving memory of Aaron Slan, Moshe ben Aaron, of blessed memory. May his memory be a blessing. And uh, the Torah study that we study tonight should elevate his soul to higher heights. And it's generally the idea that uh, when someone passes away, it's what we do on here on this earth is what uh, can elevate their soul because once they pass away, they cannot do the mitzvahs like we can. And uh, as we will explore tonight, even though this has been a class of meditation, we will explore all about the deed and how deed connects with meditation. And that's going to be our entire class. On that note, we're going to start with a joke that's a meditation, which just means it's a little deeper. Let's see if you catch it. So if the sun is out, if when the sun is out, it's light, why when the light is out, is it dark? Okay, we'll see if you can figure that one out. If when the sun is out, it's light, why is it that when the light is out, it's dark? Okay. All right, I'll let you figure it out. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's my starting point. It'll only get deeper from here. Good evening, good evening. Uh, so good evening, friends, and I'm excited that you're here tonight for the final class. And whether you've been here throughout or not, tonight is going to be a special, special journey. And uh, what makes it special is that we're going to bring it all home, as they say. You know, you got to get the grand finale. It's always when you get to the end of something, you're always hoping for something greater. And tonight you're in for a treat. It's really something special and something that you could take with you day to day. So we spent the last five weeks exploring a range of Jewish meditations together. And we challenged our perspectives and ideas about what does meditation mean. And we discussed how using the power of our mind and focusing and thinking deeply that we can explore and experience some of the most fundamental and profound Jewish spiritual ideas in, and truth in the world around us. And we discussed how these meditations can reframe our perspective, which is really what we discussed as Jewish meditation. Jewish meditation is all about reframing our perspective, coming in tune with the truth that is truly around us. And like I said many times, that Jewish meditation is not about experience, right? Some people in a meditation, they, they have an experience. It's a lot more than experience. It's about creating a new mindset and giving us the ability to see God and godliness everywhere. Now, although the meditations that we've had have profound relevance to our lives. Oh, and let me, uh, let me spotlight myself. Sorry about that. And although these meditations have a profound uh, relevance in our lives and they impact the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we act. Uh, tonight, we're going to discuss how um, they can also affect uh, more particularly the way that we act. In other words, not just how we view the world, but the way we act. And of course, we have discussed a lot about the way you see the world will change the way you act. But tonight, it's, it's going to be kind of inverse where it's almost going to be the way you act can change the way you think. I'm just going to backtrack a moment to last class. In last class, we discussed that there is kavana, the intention, the notion of investing our kavana, our intention in what we do. We discussed the idea of how we can bring godliness into every moment of our life by using, by being intentional in the actions that we do. So for example, when we go to work, we can make it a godly pursuit. When we eat, when we sleep, we can make it all godly. By doing something with a specific intention, we can create a mundane experience into a sacred one. And we saw how that could be implemented in our day-to-day -day life. And today we are going to go into a unconventional meditation, something that breaks the norm. 
And uh, what you might say is instead of a meditation in our mind, it's a meditation in our hands, which is kind of strange. Meditation is usually you'd imagine in your mind, but it's going to be a meditation of action. And truthfully, it's not any different than any other meditation. If cognitive meditation, meditation in your mind, is a process by which we think and we feel a certain desired truth. Again, a meditation in your mind, you're trying to think and feel a certain desired truth. The same thing can actually happen through a meditation of action. How so? That's what we're going to discover. So I'm going to ask you the question before we discover it. What do you think when I'm discussing a meditation of action? What action do you think I am referring to? And this is going to be a tough one. A mitzvah. A mitzvah. Very good. Very good. Today's class, we're going to discover how mitzvahs are actually meditations of action. In other words, we tend to think of them as actions, but they are actually meditations of actions. Sounds strange, right? Yeah, it does. It does, right? Of action it doesn't make any sense. It's a, yeah, exactly. It, that, and that's exactly why you come here, because um, if it was obvious, then you would need to come, right? <laughs> so let's start with this other question. And, and, and it plays into what I spoke about a moment ago. If I were to ask you to rate, put in order, importance of Judaism, action, belief, meditation, what would rate the highest and what would rate the lowest? Action, belief, and meditation. What is most from most important to least important in Judaism? You can unmute if you'd like, or you can, um, or you can just uh, post it in the chat, whichever way works for me. But how would you rate it? Action, belief, or meditation? Uh, somebody wrote here, action. You, action. you say belief, action, meditation. Okay. You would say belief first. Okay. We got Penny says action. So we got a, we got a couple of votes. Good evening. we got a lot of, a lot of different, uh, why can I see the uh, chat over here? Okay. Action, meditation, belief. Okay. So uh, oh, you guys can't see what the, uh, Okay. I'll say belief. You'd say belief is first. Okay. Belief, action, and meditation. Belief, action, meditation. Okay. Got another one. Meditation, action, belief. Okay. And I would say belief, action, and meditation. Belief, action, meditation. Yeah. So uh, I think uh, obviously meditation and belief, uh, you can might be able to interchange them to an extent, although not totally. It is interesting to see some people are going with the action first. Some people are going with the mind first, and you can probably find precedent to either one, if you'd like, if you search in all the Jewish texts. However, one thing is for sure. When you open up a Torah, the Torah and Judaism in general is primarily a code of conduct, action-oriented. It's primarily a code of, con of conduct. In other words, as opposed to other religions, which are primarily a belief, Judaism is definitely primarily a code of conduct. Now, again, whether you say which one is more important, we'll get to soon. But definitely, we as Jews spend a lot of time doing actions. Uh, there, we got 613 of them. And on top of that, once you had all the rabbinics, then you're really cooking. And in fact, what most people remember, you have a lot of Jews out there who remember the Jewish actions and don't remember the Jewish belief. Not, not saying that that's correct, but that's definitely a very common thing. Um, if you were to think back of, you know, what do you remember from your childhood? It might be holidays, it might be lighting a candle, it might be the matzah that's still stuck in your teeth 20 years later. There's all different uh, things that uh, stick around for us through, throughout life. And um, one may come to the conclusion that the core of Judaism is the deed and the meditation or thought are just the cherry on top. The belief and the thoughts are the cherry on top. It's primarily 
a action. And in fact, if we looked at text number one, and this is from the Mishnah, it seems to support such a notion. It seems to support the notion. All right, you're making a point. Yes, if you didn't believe in it, you may not do it. That's probably correct. Um, although there are a lot of Jews out there who, uh, who do certain things without believing in it. Although, yes, definitely keeping all of it. Um, but yes, we will get to that uh, later on in the class. Regardless, here's the text. The Mishnah says, the essential thing is not study, but the deed. So again, that's the text of Mishnah. What is the Mishnah? Mishnah is the primary text of Jewish faith. Uh, I should say the oral tradition, the primary text of the oral tradition. Originally, when God gave the Torah, he gave an oral tradition along with it. It wasn't originally written down, and eventually it was written down in the Mishnah. And so it says the essential thing is not the study, but the deed. That seems to support the idea that Judaism is primarily a deed-based uh, religion. We have 613 commandments and many, many other things, and uh, meditation may have value. However, it seems like the main thing is the action, right? It, that's what we spend most of our time doing, right? And if living is, if Jewish living is primarily about the way we act, it would seem that all the mindful and meaningful insights that we have been learning are secondary overall to Jewish life. And so here's the big idea that we're going to learn today. Big idea number one is in order to really do a mitzvah, as uh, I think Boaz said, in order to really do a mitzvah, it must be fueled by meditation. In order to properly do a mitzvah, it has to be fueled by thought. Anne is also writing that too. That's what we call kavana. Anybody here ever heard of the word kavana? Kavana? Didn't we just go over this in the Tanya? Yes, yes, it is related to the Tanya class. It is related to the Tanya class, although not entirely. Yes, uh, kavana. And number two is every mitzvah or action itself is a form of a meditation. That's the more complicated one. So again, we're going to learn two things today. One is that in order to properly do a mitzvah, it has to be fueled by a meditation. In other words, if you don't have the meditation in the mitzvah, it may, it's not really a proper mitzvah. We'll, we'll discuss why. And then number two, we'll explore how every mitzvah itself is a form of a guided meditation. So in summation, what have I said? So I'm going to summarize everything I said because I've said a lot of things. In summation, what I have said is Judaism is famously a religion of action. Whether you believe belief is more important than action, it definitely has a gigantic focus on action. That's what many Jews look at it as action. In fact, compared to other religions, it is very much focused on action. However, this does not mean that meditation is irrelevant. In fact, as we will learn throughout this lesson, meditation has two very important uh, elements within the action. Number one is it's really what what makes the action an action, as we'll discuss in the next section. And, and then the second section, we'll discuss how really actions themselves are meditation. It's a very interesting thing. Um, so I've got here a couple comments. Uh, that's uh, assuming I can, uh, uh, you know, my, uh, why can I see the chat on my phone? I guess I can only see the chat in real time. Again, my computer is giving a lot of fun um, so if you said, if you posted something, I didn't, I didn't see it. Let me, let me just check one place here. Any comments or questions? Thought equals meditation. Okay. Yes. As far as from the mission, it says the essential thing is not said. Amantor, negative to some of the greatest mitzvahs. 
So, ta- so right, but Torah study is also a mitzvah. Uh, All right, is that an easy way out? <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Regardless, once we once we do this class, I mean, the questions will not be questions. Okay. So, huh? Um, all right. We'll start with the joke. We're ready on for the next. Any any questions? Any questions before I move on to my? Uh, all confused. Uh, oh. All all I've all I've said till now really is meditation. We've been discussing meditation throughout, but it seems like Judaism is more focused on the action. And therefore what we're trying to figure out in this class is what role does meditation take within the action? That's, that's the simple question. Yes, that's, that's what role does meditation, how important is it truly? Is it just something nice, something cool, you know, or is it, or if, you know, does it really play a strong role within our actions? Rabbi, so let's start with it. Don't all like actions start in your mind. You have to think it before you do it. So yes, yes. But to, to what extent? Um, if I stop, so for example, if I stop somebody on the street to ask them, do you want to put on tefillin? A lot of times they don't really under, understand what tefillin is and they'll do it anyways. So how important was the meditation before they put on the tefillin? Right. That's, that's the question. If uh, you if you come to Chabad, you know they'll 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 saddle you with a lot of mitzvahs, you know, sometimes without too much meditation. How important is the meditation? And if you have been coming to Chabad for a while, and you've been doing the mitzvah without a meditation. Is there a need to learn a meditation or not? That's really what we're trying to figure out. How important is the meditation to the action? That's the discussion. It gets you ready for the action so you're in the it gets you ready in the right mode. But the question is, is that important or is that just nice? Is that, in other words, does Judaism itself say, oh, that's something that you really should be doing? Or it's just a nice way of fueling yourself to do it. You understand the well, question? Well, isn't intention part of like the power of creation? And isn't that what you're doing when you're, med- when you're doing the action? You know. let, let's let's put it this way. If God, you know what? I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll skip my joke and I'll just go straight to the story. Oh, oh no! Okay, no, I'll say the no. joke because the story the story is really going to bring out the question. But the joke it's not it's not funny. Don't worry. It's another joke that's a meditation. You you got you got, <laughs> you got to think for this one. Okay. So I was trying to figure out a way to make my Shabbat candles burn longer, and I came to my rabbi and he said, "It's not possible. Candles always burn shorter." Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> so here's a question about Shabbat candles. Uh, imagine, imagine you have somebody who is not involved in Jewish practice and they come to their Shabbat dinner table. Sorry, they come Friday night before the sun sets and they want to have a uh, romantic dinner with their husband and they, and they light candles. Now it happens to be a Jewish woman with a, you know, and so she's lighting candles to have a wonderful candlelight dinner on Friday night, nothing to do with Shabbos. She doesn't care about Shabbos. She does, maybe she doesn't even know about Shabbos. Has this lady done the mitzvah of lighting Shabbat candles? Again, she lit them on time. She lit candles. She yes. was not intending at all for Shabbat. Yes. No. What do you mean? You're not supposed to benefit from the light of the uh, candle that you light for... for Shabbat candles? For, uh, for... No, of course. Yes, no. The whole, the whole point of Shabbat candles is to benefit from them. Yeah. Hanukkah candles, you're not supposed to benefit from light. Shabbat candles, the origination of the Shabbat candles, the law, the origination of it was, uh, she still, I got a lot of opinions here. The origination of lighting Shabbat candles was that so you, when you get home and you eat your Shabbat dinner 
it should be light because it says otherwise you might trip on something, you might hit something, and then you'd cause fights in the house. It says so it's for peace in the house. Everybody should see what's going on. And so there won't be any fights. So the origination was, yes, Shabbat candles are there to benefit from. So she's literally doing what Shabbat candles are intended to, to be there for a dinner, for a Shabbat dinner. But she has no intention about Shabbat. It happens to be Friday night. She's dating her husband at her house. Is she doing the mitzvah or not? So I've got different opinions. Some say yes, some say no. So why would you say yes? A mitzvah, right? Like you're saying the action is what you have to do to get the mitzvah, which is kind of happens while you're doing it. You're saying she's done the action. Yeah. The action has been done. Well, I would say yes, too, because that's why uh, they have people, random people on the street put on tefillin. You're saying uh, just as you, you stop people on the street to put on tefillin. Same, Similarly, same if you're lighting Shabbat candles. Same concept. They're, you're having them do the okay. action, and they may you know, have no clue. What the, so, uh, uh, no bracha. I, okay. I think, yes, he may get inspired and decide to continue. Uh, well, but again, the case is she doesn't, yeah, she didn't make a bracha, but brachas do not stop you from the mitzvah. So for example, if you put on tefillin without making a bracha, if you eat matzah without making the bracha, the bracha does not stop it from being a mitzvah. It goes both ways. So uh, I like the debate here, whether it is considered a mitzvah or not. Yeah, I think it goes huh? both ways. Yeah. And uh, actually, ways. huh? It goes both ways. In other words, if I do the mitzvah without realizing I'm doing the mitzvah, I might get the benefit from it. And if I think about doing the mitzvah, I would get the benefit from it. So I think it goes both ways. You do the mitzvah, you get the benefit. You don't do the mitzvah, you think about it, you might get the benefit. I think what I'm trying to say is <clears throat> when it comes like to, to Davani, um, when you listen to people daven from different countries, they pronounce the words differently, but they're still pronouncing the words. So right, say, but the difference there is they are intending to pray. <laughs> Over here, she has no intention of of, of, of Shabbat it's candles. Just the if you don't believe, it doesn't matter if you believe or not, you're still gonna get the benefit. So I let's say you must be trying to get people on the other side. No, no, I've got I've got people on this. I'm just curious. Let's say you are, let's give another example. Let's say you are in Manhattan and you're Jewish and it's Sukkot, and you don't know anything about Sukkot, and you just are looking for a place to eat with it's shady, and you stop in the Manhattan public sukkahs, and you sit in there and you eat, and you don't know anything about Sukkot. There's no Chabadnik there standing by the door telling you it's Sukkot. You're literally just eating in a shady place. Do you fulfill the mitzvah? Yeah. Okay, I see, I see that most people believe the answer is yes. And, uh, oh, you want to see who's in there? Okay, Anna. Don't, don't tax my Wi-Fi, though. Okay. <laughs> so actually, you'd be glad to know that there is no intent, the purpose of the mitzvah is to bring us closer to Hashem. What you're saying, well, if I understand what you're saying is, <laughs> you have to shut up, you have to disconnect from the volume. If there's no intent, then, I'm hearing myself twice. <laughs> no, there's a way to do it. I'm on Zoom too over here but you have to disconnect from the audio. What I'm saying is, is that really, if you think a mitzvah is about connecting to God, how could it be that when you don't have intention to connect to God, how can you be connecting to him? All right, what about sin? You're saying, what if you sin and you don't intend to sin? Oh, that's a good question. What if you're eating pork and you have no idea that, that pork is forbidden? That's a good question. 
There's no ignorance under the law, right? All right, so, so let's develop this. You know, we've got all different sides of the debate. You'd be glad to know this is debated in the Talmud. The rabbis debated this very question. Is intent required? Some authorities maintain that a mitzvah requires intent. Others, however, argue that mitzvahs, even without intent, are okay. Now, even those who say intent is required, there are exceptions. All agree that mitzvahs that benefit others, for example, charity, do not require intent. So it says, for example, if you're walking and a dollar bill falls out of your pocket and a poor person picks it up, you have fulfilled the mitzvah. Okay, so anything that benefits somebody else is um, you uh, is um, you fulfill the mitzvah. Others also say anytime where there's any material benefit, for example, some say if you eat matzah, since your body benefited from it, you fulfill the mitzvah. Regardless, the code of Jewish law has the final arbitration over here. So the code of Jewish law says like this. Let's take a look at text number two. And the code of Jewish law, again, the Talmud debates both sides, but the code of Jewish law says like this. Uh, hey. To fulfill a mitzvah obligation, we must actively intend to observe the, that mitzvah. Therefore, if we observe a mitzvah unwittingly or for a purpose other than to perform a mitzvah, like this lady that lit her candles, we have not fulfilled the mitzvah at all. Some Torah authorities disagree and opine that mitzvahs do not require intent and are fulfilled even when performing unwittingly. However, the final law sides with the former opinion. So here you have, you have to have some intent to do the mitzvah. So when you ask, what about Chabad putting on to fill in on people on the street? At the very least, you have to know it's a mitzvah. They don't necessarily know the meaning of to fill in, but they know this is a mitzvah by God. And the same thing with this lady that lights Shabbat candles. If she's lighting it so she can have a nice dinner, the code of Jewish law would say, possibly she hasn't fulfilled her obligation. You may make the argument it has physical benefit. Putting that aside, very possibly she has not fulfilled her obligation because she had no intention of doing something that God commanded. And ultimately, a mitzvah is about a commandment from God. And as long as you are not doing it because it's a commandment, um, you have not fulfilled it. Now, that sounds very strange. Why? Let's give an example. Let's say you are um, driving in a 50 mile per hour zone at 50 miles per hour. And uh, the cop pulls you over and he says, tell me, are you driving 50 miles an hour because that's the law? Or are you driving 50 miles an hour because you are very you know, because uh, your car doesn't go any faster, you know, <laughs> let's say. And then if you say the la if you say the latter, if you say, oh, no, I, I don't care about the law. I'm just driving because my car doesn't go any faster. Then he gives you a ticket, right? No, no. <laughs> what do you mean? I, you're, you're doing the deed. You're following the command. So if mitzvahs are practical instructions, what difference does it make what my intention was? If I lit the candles on Friday night, shouldn't that count for fulfilling the mitzvah, right? W what what difference does it make what the intention is? Right, but here I'm going with a positive. Here I'm going, if you're, if you're following something, if you're doing something, we can get to the negative. Right now I'm discussing the positive. So I am following the law of driving 50 miles an hour. What difference does it make my intent, right? If I'm sitting in class and then following what the teacher says, I'll get rewarded regardless of whether uh, my intent is because I'm lazy or because whatever, 
No. So obviously, mitzvahs serve a purpose that goes beyond practical behavior. And I'll say that one once more again. Mitzvahs serve a purpose beyond just the practical behavior. And to achieve that purpose requires intention and awareness. Okay? So again, what we see from here is that Jewish practice, is, it's not, in other words, it's not that God comes and says, I just have a bunch of things that I need to get done. Okay? And how it happens and why it happens and who does it and how it gets done, I don't care. No, no, no. There's more to it than just getting it done, right? So if, you, if you're trying to build a house, you don't care what the intention of the workers are when they're building it. They could, they could be doing it because they're afraid of their foreman. They could do it because they're afraid of their uh, wife. They could do it because, for whatever reason, that whatever reason they're doing it, uh, you don't care. You just want, you want it built. But when God gives us the commandments, he doesn't just want the commandments to be done. They're, they, they have more to it than just that. I'm not saying that's not part of what he wants, but there's more to it. So let's explore. Everybody follow so far? Clear as mud. Yeah, clear as mud. Good. I'm glad you told me that. So let me summarize. Okay. We started off the class trying to figure out what role does meditation or belief or intention play into practice. We started off with a text that said, that the deed is the most important thing. Based on that, you would imagine that meditation or thought doesn't play a large role. But now we have a flip side. We have a law that's telling us, no, if you don't think when you're doing the deed, then the deed may not count. So wait, which one is it? Is the, met, is the deed the most important? Was, why, is the why is it being tied to meditation? Obviously, what we're getting to is a deed without a certain level of meditation is not worth, is not, is not useful. Why not? Let's find out. Okay. Is that clear? Good. Uh, I feel the heart always follows the mind. Okay. True, true. Um, let's start off by defining the word mitzvah. What does the word mitzvah mean? Good deed. That's how most people translate it. But what does mitzvah actually mean? Commandment. Commandment. Yes. And what else does it mean? Connection. connection. Yes. Commandment and connection. It is generally translated as good deed, but it actually does not mean good deed. It either means a commandment and it also means a connection. And we're actually going to learn that they're actually one and the same. Mitzvahs are commandments that are also connections. So let's take a look at text number three. As we try and discover the secret of Judaism's obsession on action, and yet nevertheless, the necessity for um, necessity for uh, intentions. So let's take a look here. The word mitzvah means a connection, as in the Aramaic term tzavta, attach and join. One who performs a mitzvah bonds with God's very self, for God is the issuer of the commandment. And that's an important line. The reason why you bond with God when you follow what he says is because he's the one that gave the commandment. This is the significance of our sage's statement. The reward of a mitzvah is the mitzvah, right? You'd think, well, the reward of a mitzvah is uh, the Garden of Eden or something. No, the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah itself. The bonding of the mortal who performs the commandment with the infinite God who issued the commandment is itself the greatest reward. 
Anybody here ever heard of the five languages of love? The book, Five Languages of Love. What's one of them is acts of service. Acts of service, right? God desires a relationship with us. That's really what he wants. The mitzvahs are acts of service that we do for him. And so through doing a mitzvah, we are building a relationship with God. Now, if in any relationship, acts of service are important, how much more so with a relationship with God? Because with a relationship between man, human beings, there are other forms, languages of love which we can use. Uh, you can hang, I don't know what the other ones are, but regardless, you can go to a movie together. You can't go to a movie with God, right? <laughs> I'm saying, you know, what, what's your relationship with God? God is infinite, you're finite. What, what is your relationship with God? Acts. Is both infinite and finite, but he—I don't think—I don't think he enjoys a good Netflix movie. I don't think you go to the movies with him. But <laughs> acts of service are very important in our relationship with God. If they're important in any relationship, they are important in our relationship with God. The gap between us and God is unbridgeable. By the way, God being finite and infinite at the same time is part of His infinite. But that's that's for another time. But don't let your head spin. Let's focus here. There's no real way for us finite corporeal beings to truly relate to an infinite God. And the only way we can have a connection to him is by following what he says. In other words, me being a human being, I can figure out what you as a human being might want. But me being a human being and God being infinite, I cannot know what act of service I can do for him. So I might say, let me go build a synagogue for him, but maybe that's not what he wants. FYI, he does want it, just letting you know. Um, but you know, I might say, let me go into the forest and pray for 30 days. Well, if you know that's what God wants, yes, then you're doing an act of service. But if he doesn't want it, then even if it's the most spiritual thing, it's not connecting you to God. Because again, God is infinite. You cannot really know what he wants unless he tells you. And so that's what a mitzvah is. Mitzvah lends us relevance and an opportunity to connect with him. And therefore, a mitzvah is not just merely a good deed or something that God needs to get done. It's an incredible opportunity for us to connect with God by doing an act of service for him. And therefore, because of that, with our new understanding of mitzvahs, being not just good things that God needs to get done on this earth, but they are ways of us doing acts of service and connecting with him. Now we understand why intent is very important. You know, if you do things for your spouse, but without the intent and she finds out about it, she won't want to have any part of it. Uh, she or he, regardless, right? Spouse, spouse can mean either way, right? So let's say um, you buy flowers and they come to your house and your wife opens up the box from flowers.com. Uh, she says, oh, thank you so much for the flowers. Means so much to me. You say, yeah, I bought flowers, but they weren't for you. They're actually for the holiday of Shavuot because they're supposed to put flowers around the house. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, enjoy them too. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, what? Right? You know, uh, if you're a good spouse, always take an opportunity. If you're being thanked for something, just say, yes, yes, exactly. That's exactly what I meant, right? <laughs> that was exactly my intention. Um, by the way, similarly, it can work the other way around. If you have all the love in the world for your spouse, but you don't do any act of service for them, then there'll be, you know, what 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 use is that love, right? It's like the old story, the, the couple came to the therapist and the wife complains to the therapist and says, uh, my husband never says, uh, you know, I love you. Therapist looks at the husband and say, why not? He says, listen, under the chuppah, I said, I love you. If anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> you know, so uh, intention without action doesn't do anything, but also action without intention is not, is not uh, you know, really that great. And so the intent 
makes the gift meaningful. And that's how mitzvahs operate. With our new understanding of mitzvahs, they're not just good deeds for us to do. They are ways of us to connect to God, ways of us showing our acts of service to God, ways of showing our love to God, which we spoke about on, on, with, with the Tanya. The act alone is powerful, but when it's fueled by the meditation and awareness of God commanding it to us, then suddenly it becomes an act of connection. And that is why when we stop somebody in the street, we at least tell them it's a mitzvah of God. And even if they say I'm an atheist, I don't believe in it, we tell them, we tell them do it for me, they at least know that it's a commandment in the Torah. But regardless, I'll leave it at that. Now, just as in a spouse relationship, the more you appreciate each other, the more meaningful those gifts to each other are. We can understand the same thing as with a mitzvah. You can have a very basic level of intention in a mitzvah. You can have a very basic level of connection in a mitzvah. But the more you meditate and the more you feel it, the more meaningful that mitzvah is going to be for God. And that is why meditation does play an important role in the mitzvahs. And therefore, the deeper meditations we can have, which we've been speaking about all through the course that can fuel your mitzvahs, the deeper and more meaningful and the greater the connection of those mitzvahs will bring. And this is one of the reasons why the rabbis instituted something very important before a mitzvah. And what is that? A bracha. This is one of the reasons for making a bracha. Before you go ahead and you perform a mitzvah, the bracha forces you to pause for at least a half a second, but hopefully more, and reflect on the magnitude of what you are about to do. It is a micro-meditation on the beautiful connection that you are about to form with God. And so let us read over here text number four from the Atanya, where he tells us just what we are to think when we say the words, the famous words of each blessing. So he says like this, the inner significance of the blessing recited prior to performing a mitzvah. Blessed are you, dot, 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 Asher Kiddushanu sanctified us with his mitzvahs. In the Hebrew, the term kiddush means both sanctification and betrothal. Uh, somebody here just got married, right? By the marriage, you, uh, it's called kiddushin. Uh, well, what do you say when you put on the ring? Hareat mikudeset li. In Hebrew, you say, behold, you are betrothed to me. So kiddushana, we say a blessing for, uh, for a uh, mitzvah, same word as betrothal. So here we already see this relationship that's going on, this intimate relationship that goes on when we do a mitzvah. Through performing a mitzvah, we are bound to God like a man betrothing his wife for the sake of being intimately united with each other. As the Torah states regarding the bonding of the first human couple, he shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. When we study the Torah or perform a commandment, we achieve a similar, indeed, a infinitely deeper and truer unity between our soul, along with all its elements and God's absolute infinite light. Can you imagine that? When you do a mitzvah, you are kiddushanu. You are betrothing God because you are in this relationship. You are doing acts of service from you are making that bond stronger and stronger, creating that betrothal and connection with God. And so seen through this light, mitzvahs are not just actions that need to get done. Mitzvahs are, in a sense, actions that need a meditation to make them be the great bonding experience that they should be. So in summation, what we have discovered here is that although we had this debate back and forth, what's important in the deed, or is the intention important? We started off saying Judaism says the deed is most important. Then we started saying intention. Without intention, there's no deed. 
Now we've found a nice medium and why both are so important. Just as in a relationship, if you think you love your spouse, but you don't ever do anything about it, you're not going to have a relationship. Conversely, if you do the actions, but in the back of your head, you would rather not be doing them. It's, and it's a loveless marriage. We all know what that's like. And so mitzvos require both, both the deed and the intent, and both are super, super important. Any questions or comments? Stop sharing my screen here just one second. Jesse? I have two questions. Yes, let me uh, turn the mic to you so people can hear you clear. Yes. So, um, is it- Now you're on the- Oh, great. The uh, starting point would be simple awareness of it being a mitzvah. And then like the end point would be like with pure kavana. Like, is that the minimum or is it just like simple? You don't even have to be aware of it. Someone just says, this is a commandment. You say, oh, I don't know what the commandment, a commandment even means. Like, is that enough? Very good. You're asking, since we're, 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 we're placing such importance on Kavana, you're saying, you know, wh where's the beginning and where's the end of it, right? So the beginning of it would be at least the knowledge that this is something that God asked you to do. And that's what commandment means, okay? This is a commandment by God. Now, then you can go deeper and deeper, and you can even get into the meaning of this particular mitzvah, and one can meditate really what it means to connect. In other words, the more you appreciate God, the more you care about that relationship too. That's why we had all those meditations earlier. The more you appreciate God, the more that bond that the mitzvah does means, it means a lot more to you. You get more points for it or something? Or? I don't know. I, so I, I don't know about points, brownie points uh, per se. In other words, I'm not so much into reward. Huh? Well, you get more stars for it. Yeah, yeah, but again, I, I'm not so well. Okay, this is just me. I'm not so worried about uh, what, what's going to happen when I pass away. I want to know while I'm alive what um, uh, the actions that I do. I want them to be as meaningful as possible. I don't, uh, you know, your spouse you see easy to connect with. If you're doing mitzvahs and mitzvahs are about connecting with God. The logic would follow. I would want to understand a little bit more about this God that I'm connecting to, right? So let's say you're coming to Chabad for a while. And it's a mitzvah. Put on tefillin, right? A mitzvah, do this. A mitzvah, do that, right? Eventually, hopefully, you'll come to a point where you say, wait, this is God that I'm connecting to. Let me let me learn more about him. Let me find out a little bit more about him. Why do I want to connect with him? You know, what's so special about him? And that will create a more meaningful relationship because you've understood more about them. Just as you spend time over the years, you, you appreciate your spouse more deeper and deeper every single year that goes by. We should come to appreciate God more and more each and every single year. And as many said in the beginning, that will help fuel also uh, a lot of the acts. Um, it will help us do more actions, right? If you appreciate God more, you're also more likely to do more actions to connect with him. Somebody wrote something in the chat, but I missed it. And now it's off my screen. Uh, so you can post it again or whatever. I'm, I'm sorry, my, my computer is funny over here. Um, at least I can share the screen. So I have a second question. If the rabbis instituted brachas before mitzvah, yes. is when we say bracha before eating, does that mean simply eating is a mitzvah in itself? So one second, somebody wrote here, the reward is the deeper connection to God. Very good. That's what we said earlier. The reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. You know, it's through doing a mitzvah, right, to the point of reward. What's so beautiful about a mitzvah is not necessarily so much what's going to happen when, you know, after we pass away. Of course, we'll get a better Garden of Eden. But just the fact that I connected to God, that itself is, is a reward. At least if you appreciate such a thing. 
So hopefully you do appreciate connecting to God. So you were saying the myths. So there's all types of blessings. There's blessings before we eat. Right. And we spoke about that in one of the other classes. Uh, there's blessings before everything. We were talking specifically blessings before uh, mitzvahs. Blessings before eating is another way of making sure that uh, you connect to God while you eat. And we spoke about that, I think, last week, right? I think it was last week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. Regardless, I hope I remember what I said. No, I don't okay. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. So, if you have for your husband and your kids, how in the world do you have time to meditate on it before everything? I just don't. How do you have time to meditate? Right. I mean, I can understand you get up in the morning before you, you, you at least make a boundary that you're going to do it in the morning. You wash your hands with the first brush off. But to do this all day when you're trying Right. To so, you can't do it all day. Um, the Alter Rebbe, yeah, yeah. The first Chabad Rebbe wrote in his Tanya, he said, he, he speaks all about meditation over there and he writes that business people, they should at the very least on Shabbat spend time in meditation. And then once you meditate on Shabbat during the week, when you meditate a little bit, you can draw from the lengthier meditations that you've had on Shabbat. And so he, he was decrying the people, the businessmen, that even on Shabbat, they're flying through the prayers. You know, he was saying, you got to, uh, you got to at least when you have time to meditate, meditate. So yeah, we understand the practicality. We can't always meditate, and uh, there's longer meditations and shorter meditations. You know, uh, as we've been saying, and and the more often you meditate. So if you met, if you were to meditate every Shabbat, then even the, the bracha you make for ten seconds will become more meaningful over time. Okay. Good question. Good questions tonight. Any other questions? Good questions and comments, even if I missed some of the comments over there because they fly off my screen. Okay. Um, we're now ready to move on to the second part of the class. And it's a good timing because it's already 8.15. So we have so far set one idea, and this is one that we all seem to be easily buy into, balancing the act of um, meditation and action and how we need both in order for a mitzvah to do what it needs to do. Now we're going to learn that not only do mitzvahs require meditation to be wholesome, but mitzvahs themselves are meditations. And I'm going to say that one more time. We're going to step number two. So step number one was great. Remember that mitzvahs need to have meditation or at least a very basic meditation in order to make them be what they're supposed to be connection to God. Now we're getting to step number two. Mitzvahs not only require meditation to be wholesome, the act of a mitzvah itself is a meditation. How so? Sounds crazy, right? So let's, let's explore this. Beyond the overall purpose of a mitzvah, giving us the opportunity to connect with God, each specific mitzvah provides practical benefit to us, the person performing the mitzvah. In other words, not only does the mitzvah connect us with God, but the mitzvah also does something for us. At the end of the day, we must believe that God gave us commandments and those commandments each have meaning, right? In other words, one could say for connection, God could have given us meaningless commandments. And it's true because if we would do meaningless commandments, it would still be a commandment from God, right? It says if God asked us a mitzvah, chop wood, it would still be a connection to God. I'm chopping wood because God asked me to. But we believe that every mitzvah that God gives us has meaning and every mitzvah has virtue and so the virtue of that mitzvah and the mitzvahs that god gives us they train us to be the best 
people that we can be. We have to believe that every single mitzvah has meaning. I'm sure you can imagine some mitzvahs, you, you're not sure the meaning behind them. I was watching, um, just to give you uh, an example, I was watching, uh, if you, at the end of the class, I give a link always to the JLI extra video. So they had a video there from Rabbi Lord Dr. Jonathan Sachs, those who know who he was, the chief rabbi of England. And uh, he said an interesting point. He said that in the 1800s, when the reform movement was first established in Germany, one of the first things that they cut out from Jewish practice was the references in, uh, in the prayers to returning to Israel. Again, I'm quoting what he said. He said, one of the first things they took out was references of returning to Israel. And he said, and why? Because they believed that was outdated. We don't, we're not anymore planning on returning to Israel. It's, it's like a, you know, forlorn dream. You know, it's a dream that's never going to happen. So they took all mention of that out of the prayers. In fact, that's why they called their places temples. There was a replacement of the original temple. And I even remember there was, uh, when I was in Toronto, one of the largest synagogues there, one of the people I went there told me that when they built it originally, they would pray not facing Jerusalem because, you know, so to speak, it's not a place where we're, we're ever going to go. And how interesting is it? Obviously, now we see 100 years later that, uh, no, that dream of returning to Israel is definitely not dead at all. And um, so what am I trying to bring out? Sometimes there's meaning that we see right now, and sometimes we might have to wait to see the meaning. We don't always see the meaning right now, but every single thing has meaning. And we cannot say, let me cut this out. I don't understand the meaning of it, right? Let me, I'll do the things that I that have meaning, the things that don't have meaning, I'm going to cut out. Everything has a meaning. We just may not understand it yet. But let us see this text over here that will tell us that uh, mitzvahs are there. They are a benefit to us. They are there to benefit us as people. So let's take a look. Our sages state that mitzvahs were given only to refine the person. The purpose of the mitzvot is not to benefit God, but rather to benefit humankind, to keep them safe from harm, to shield them from negative beliefs and base character traits, to remind them of miracles and wonders of the creator, and to help them know God. The Midrash employs the term tsaref for refining. And so he brings, just like a silversmith refines uh, silver, similarly, mitzvos are there to remove every harmful belief from our hearts and inform us of the truth and enable us to be constantly mindful of the truth. Let's read one more text. This is from Maimonides. Again, showing you how commandments are not just random things that connect us to God because they're commandments, but they are there for our benefit. They change who we are. The deed changes who we are. And here's Maimonides. Each of the 630 commandments exist either to communicate a correct view or to diminish an unhealthy view, to communicate a rule of justice or to ward off an injustice, to endow people with a noble moral quality or to warn them against a negative moral quality. That's pretty powerful stuff. And so this perspective suggests that although mitzvahs are ways of, our acts of divine service, they are actually designed for our benefit. He wants us to form certain character traits, values, and beliefs. And the way we form them is through the mitzvot. Through the deed, 
we change our values, our character traits, and our beliefs. That's interesting. Remember how I, how I said earlier how mitzvahs are like meditations, just as meditations change our mindset? He seems to be saying here that mitzvahs can also change your mindset and your character. You would think, no, what do you mean? In order to change my character, I first need to think. But it sounds like that um, we need to um, do actions in order, and sometimes, of course, you can start with the mind, but you can also start with the action. The action allows us to change our beliefs. And here we have a quote from the Chinuch, who was a famous commentator who wrote uh, commentary enumerating all 613 commandments. And he writes like this, um, probably in the wrong text, actually. And now, my child, I will enlighten you to appreciate the Torah and its precepts. You are influenced by your behavior and your feelings and thoughts consistently follow your actions whether for positive or for negative, your actions have the power to overcome the negative inclination within you since the attitudes of your heart are influenced by your behaviors. And again, I'm going to read that last line again. The attitudes of your heart are influenced by your behaviors. Isn't that amazing? We tend to think of behaviors stemming from inside out. If you have a problem child, we're going to go in there and we're going to talk to them. We're going to try and convince them and we're going to try and teach them of the right ways to live. And Judaism says, no, sometimes, of course, yes, we should try that too, but sometimes we have to do something positive to change who we are. There was uh, one of the most famous TED Talks was given by a woman called Dr. Amy Cuddy. And she spoke all about how, how you sit up changes, um, actually, you know, your hormone levels and changes your positive body language it makes you more confident and negative body language makes you, you've seen that one? No, it's just been around. So at school, so my kids that don't behave while they're always in trouble, I give them something very, a task to do. Go to the principal, go do this, go do mm-hmm. that. Only getting better. Mm. Right, right. Kids that misbehave, we give them things to do. Right. Right, actions. Actions many times can change who we are. And uh, so this, this talk, she said, if, you know, if you come into an interview, like many people do, and they're sitting over their phones before the interview, you know, waiting in the lobby like this, she says, you're actually going to be less confident in the interview than if you, you're sitting up like this, you know, waiting for that interview, or, you know, you do some power stretches or something. When you get into, they've studied it, they, she's done a lot of different uh, studies and labs and everything, that posture can impact our mood and attitude, uh, right? If you're sitting by the rabbi's class like this, you're more likely to fall asleep, right? (laughs) So this is what we might call a meditation hack. Although one way to change our mindset is through meditation, Judaism gives us a meditation hack. If you are looking to change your character, to deepen your faith, add more spirituality in your life, you can either spend time meditating your mind or you can practice the commandments or best yet, do both. Because truthfully, First, trying to meditate and then hopefully trying to get a point to the point where you change your mindset is a long road. It'll go a lot quicker if you do the actions at the same time, or at least in the beginning. There was one somebody who came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, 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 I don't believe. Therefore, I don't want to do any of the commandments. And he said, no, it's because you don't do any of the commandments. That's why you don't believe. It's like somebody who has a, I like to give the example, someone who has a 
God forbid, a mental illness. And they say, therefore, they don't understand why they should take the, the medicinal pill. And it's the other way around. If you would take the medicinal pill, you'd understand why you would need the pill. And so it's kind of the same thing with the mitzvahs. When we're not doing the mitzvahs, we are actually less likely to understand why we should be doing them. The act of doing a mitzvah is kind of mindset change. You know, if, if you're, let's say, for example, if you are somebody who is, um, who has negative character traits, cruel person, start, it says start to give charity, do, do actions. If you are a person who is, uh, you know, very bad with the mouth, start saying nice things. All of these things, if you start doing the opposite, it can shift your attitude. And so we can now shift our attitude to Jewish rituals. They are not just tasks that God is forcing upon us because he wants acts of service whether we appreciate them or not, which hopefully we do appreciate them, but they are much more than that. They are beautiful actions that allow us to change who we are and what we are. It's important for me to point out, this is not the sole reason we do a mitzvah. We do mitzvahs for many different reasons. And one of them being one we discussed earlier to connect with God. And again, you, you probably come to five classes that give you five reasons why you do mitzvahs. But regardless, one of the reasons for doing mitzvahs is they are like many meditations. What I mean, there are meditations just as a meditation can change how you think and how you feel in your character. A mitzvah has that opportunity too. There was once um, a woman who came to the doctor and says, doctor, I don't know what to do. Uh, you know, every time a husband loses his temper, uh, it just devolves and becomes just a horrible, ugly mess. The doctor says, I have an anecdote for you. He says, antidote for you. He says, I want an anecdote, antidote for you. Every time your husband gets angry, or you get angry regardless, take some mouthwash and swish it in your mouth for 15 minutes. Says, really? That works? Says, yeah, that works. So uh, she does it. She comes back to this doctor. I don't know what type of voodoo you practice, what type of uh, magic you practice, but it worked. I don't understand why. He says, listen, the mouthwash does nothing, but the fact that you kept your mouth shut, that's what really works. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, sometimes it's the action that's needed that really changes um, who we are. So let's take a look here at uh, how the Rebbe summarizes all this in text number eight. Okay. The main focus within Judaism is action, which entails practically fulfilling the mitzvot. At the same time, each Torah-based action has an effect on the person's character. Learning Torah and fulfilling mitzvot refine the mind and emotions as repeatedly emphasized in the words of Maimonides, who served as a guide for the perplexed of his generation and continues to serve as a guide for truth seekers in all subsequent eras. And so now that we have learned this beautiful secret that mitzvot are really beautiful packets of action-based meditations, if you want to call them that, again, we're not negating the intent. Intent will, will, will only enhance how the mitzvahs affect you. Let's zero in on a couple commandments and see how they are commandments that can change our lives. Again, I cannot tell you the meaning behind all the commandments, but we'll go through a couple today. Any questions before we bring a couple examples? Uh, you know, let me summarize what we said today. We, st we said really two things today. We, we started off saying how intent and action both are integral, both are important. We first started to discuss how uh, the first point of the class was commandments are ways of acts of service and ways of connecting with God. And therefore, the meditation allows it to be that truly bonding moment because in action without the feeling, 
is not really, or at least the knowledge that you're doing it for them is not really an act of service. And that was point number one. Point number two is that commandments are also there to help us. And that is why Judaism has a strong focus on the deed. Even though meditation is important, even if you can't get the greatest meditation, doing the deed is important. That's why we'll stop somebody in the street, do the mitzvah. Because we believe that aside from, you know, we believe any one mitzvah is eternal because your soul connects with God at that moment, which is eternal. We believe that that commandment indeed has the ability to transform that person's life. And many times it does. Many times it does. It transforms that, that person's life by doing that one deed. It leads to another and leads to another and leads to another because the, the deed is a form of mind altering and mind changing and character building. And we're going to zero in on a couple uh, mitzvahs. So let's start with charity. Charity is the easiest one. So charity, you might say, the purpose of charity, why did God command charity? If we're focusing on not how it helps us, but how it affects the world, we understand. God says you need to give charity because poor people need money, right? But we can also say, why did God make people poor? Why did God make the world in a way that we need to give charity? Why did God make the world a world where some people are rich, some people are poor? And the Talmud discusses and says, because through the act of giving charity, God is giving us the opportunity to become kind, to become better people. Charity allows us to become the best people that we can be. Because God could have provided everybody's uh, sustenance. God could have made no poor people if he wanted to. But one of the reasons he made a world in which some people need charity is to help you develop positive character. And now when you think about it, when you're giving somebody charity, think about it like this. Think like this. When someone poor comes to you, think of it. You could have been the poor person. They could have been the rich person. You should be grateful that you're the rich person and this person enables you to become a kinder person by giving them the charity. Yeah, yeah. We're looking at it, right? Instead of like, oh, look at me. I'm so great. I'm, I'm parting with a couple of my dollars. No, God could have made you the poor person, you know? So God has made you a steward over this money so that you can become a kinder person. And this also plays into another interesting law in charity. It says that even poor people are supposed to give charity. Even someone who, who relies on begging, they themselves have to give charity because if they never give charity, they won't know the measure of giving. And, and there's so many uh, stories from our sages of people who were poor and they got a blessing from the rabbi. They became rich and they were very miserly, very, very lots of different stories like that. I don't know. So why is that? Because when they were poor, they were focused on themselves. And um, so when they got rich, they were again focused on themselves. We have to learn to be able to give. And so whether you're rich, whether you're poor, and this is very often, today's day and age, a lot of people are not poor, but they're poor in their own minds. The kitchen, I think. If you don't have enough money for uh, Netflix, you consider yourself poor, right? If you don't have enough money uh, for, um, uh, you know, uh, the, the cable or, or your, your latest uh, iPhone that's out, you consider yourself poor. Like, how can I give, uh, how can I give charity when I, when I don't have enough money? Well, think if I would think about it like this, you know, I think this crisis in Ukraine, think about it like this. You, you could, you know, you should be, we should be giving to these people more than be a little bit beyond our comfort. You know, think about what if we were in their shoes, right? So if you would normally give 18, give 36, give a little more than, than what you can, because it, it's, it, it's a feeling of, um, it, it, it gives kindness into your life and, and, and taking focus away from yourself, being less self-focused. All right. I think that was good for charity. Rabbi, a quick point. Yes. 
Uh, this week's parasha of Ikra, and we talk about the animal sacrifices and so on. If we yes. take out the word animal, that we are being asked to make sacrifices, not give what is comfortable, what is easy, not the blemished sheep, not the lame steer, but the best of it. So we are asked to give to make it better and, and make it a little bit tough on us. Um, Very good, yes. yes. Cross, it's speaking to us, and some people think, oh, it's just animal sacrifice. No, he's speaking to us today. Yes, he is. And in fact, uh, there's a Hasidic insight on the first words. In the Hebrew, it says, Adam kiyakriv mikem, a person when he will bring from you. And he says that the grammar, it should have been written the other way around. Adam mikem kiyakriv. I'm not going to get into the Hebrew. But what the, the, what the Hasidic philosophy points out is what it's saying is that the sacrifice has to be from you. It's a sacrifice, so to speak, of yourself. So exactly, very, very good. And then all the, the, the sacrifices are, are uh, important today. No pain, no gain, as they say, right? If it's too easy, what is it? All right, thank you, Don. Um, all right, how about honoring your parents? What would you think is the purpose of honoring your parents? Honor ourselves. To honor ourselves? So what... A benefit would, would, would honoring our parents give us? Huh? What what, sorry, what character trait would it give us? Okay, longer life. Yes, that's, that's, a, that's a reward. What character trait, right? We're focused on how the mitzvahs make us better people. What character trait would honoring our parents give us? Gratitude. Huh? Gratitude. Humility? Gratitude. Good, good. We got humility. We got gratitude. Good. All right. Let's take a look at text number 10. This is uh, from, again, the Chinuch. He says like this. Already meditation. Okay. The root of the commandment for an individual to honor their father and mother is that it is fitting for a person to acknowledge and return kindness to those who provided goodness and to avoid becoming a selfish ingrate, an evil and repulsive attribute in the eyes of God and mortals alike, right? Ingrates are the worst. The mitzvah is designed to spur us to contemplate that our parents are the material cause of our existence in this world. It is therefore truly fitting to honor them in every way and provide them with every benefit that is within our ability for they brought us into the world and also toiled on our behalf in numerous ways when we were young. It's funny, I was trying to talk to my son about uh, honoring your father and mother tonight. Uh, eventually, once I convinced him that it was actually a mitzvah, and he's like, oh, yes, it's a mitzvah. And that's what me, little boys in the army of Hashem, do. We do mitzvah. So he didn't like really care that it was honoring me. It was just like, oh, great, it's a mitzvah. All right. <laughs> but hopefully over time, he'll get to a point where he'll appreciate, where he'll understand why it's a mitzvah, and it will give gratitude and humility in his life. All right, how about Shabbos? What character does Shabbos give us? Thoughts? Turn off our phones, out of rest. Temperance. Temperance? Ability to stop certain things. Ability to stop, yes. Agreed. What else? There's something very important a lot of people don't realize. Peace. Good. Make sure your job is home is peaceful. Discipline. SP. Huh? 
Trust. Very good. Trust and belief in God. So let's take a look at here at text number 11. Shabbos meditation. This is a meditation a lot of people don't realize. A lot of people look at Shabbos as a day of rest, but it's a lot more than just that. He says like this. The root of this commandment, Shabbos, to abstain from work on Shabbos is that we should free ourselves from our occupations to honor the day of Shabbat, thereby instilling within ourselves belief in God's creation of the universe. For this belief is the cord to which every foundation of our religion is attached. Shabbat is about belief in creation of God. By honoring the Shabbat, why are we honoring Shabbat? Because we're saying God rests on the Sabbath. Therefore, we are resting on the Sabbath. That means every time we keep Shabbat, we are in essence affirming that God created the world. Right? And so Shabbat is um, giving us the belief and faith. It, it's, it's a meditation, uh, an action meditation that gives us belief and faith. And, and trust you me, anybody that keeps Shabbat, Shabbat, that is really a step, an act of faith and belief. Right? Just the resting on Shabbos, eh, you know, you can, you can rest, you can rest. Rest is good, right? But the belief and faith, when you really fully keep Shabbat, you know, when you truly believe that the, nothing on your cell phone that's going to ring on Shabbat is going to be that important, um, that's that's a true belief in God. When, when uh, what, what is everybody saying now, right? Everybody's going to start walking to Seoul because the gas prices are so high, right? So, uh, <laughs> um, anyways, that was just a joke. Or maybe not so much of a joke. Okay, LOL. All right. Um Number, uh, text number 12, huh? Too soon. too soon, too soon. Yeah, yeah. Look, uh, we got to have belief. Everything in the world is for a purpose. So just think, if you buy a house near the soul, it may be more expensive than all the money you save on gas. For those who want to know, there's a new house going for sale three doors down from me. Across the, across the street, three doors down. So it'd be close enough, but also far enough, okay? So I can't like look into your window and like not, hey, we need a minion, okay? All right. All right, how about tefillin? What does tefillin give us? Any thoughts? What does tefillin give us? Connection to God. Okay. It's a very physical ritual. It combines the spiritual with physical action. Combines the physical with the spiritual. And, and it's very good. specific and varim exactly what we're supposed to do. It's very specific where it's supposed to be. All, all mitzvahs are very specific, though, right? Well, God I mean, father, father is, is oh, you know, more vague, but laying tefillin is much more specific. How you do yes. it, when you do it, it's yes. more physical. All right, so we're going to get into the discussion. Specifically, where is it placed? on the head and by the heart. And so one of the meanings, as the Chinuch says, is it's about alignment in our life. Let's take a look here. Alignment or connection. Among those commandments from God that are for the sake of molding thoughts in order to serve him in purity is the commandment of tefillin. Tefillin are placed on the body in locations corresponding to the brain and heart. Organs that are referred to as the seats of intellect and perception. Laying to fill in and contemplating their purpose leads to dedicating all thoughts to good and leads to constantly remembering to be careful to calibrate all deeds in righteousness and justice. This is something that, you know, I've uh, pointed out many times that very often our minds and our hearts are not calibrated, right? So 
it works both ways. Sometimes your heart wants to be very kind and your mind says, wait, 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 I don't have enough money for my Netflix subscriptions. No. Or, or your mind says, you know, I'd really love to come to Shul. It makes so much sense. And your heart says, yeah, but I want to sleep in a little bit longer, right? So our heart and our mind are not always aligned. And by putting the tefillin on our head and our arm, this is basically saying we want to align both our heart and our mind to God. By the way, there are many, many ways that they refine us. And everybody's saying great ideas and they're all correct. All right, let's go into um, one of my favorites. They tell the story. Uh, uh, Shmuel buys a home in Beverly Hills. He's got 40 doors in the house and he asks the builder to uh, put up all the mezuzahs. He has to build the put of all mezuzahs. So the builder does a great job. He puts up all the mezuzahs and uh, he comes back to Shmuel and he says, look, um, you know, I put up all your mezuzahs and I have to say, I, I threw out all those little instructions, you know. <laughs> so, the uh, mezuzah, what does mezuzah mean to us? So uh, this should be an easier one, right? What is mezuzah? What's the meditation of mezuzah? Let's take a look. How does mezuzah change who we are? So let's take a look. We must be careful to observe the mitzvah of mezuzah, for it is an obligation that is constantly incumbent upon everyone. Through observing this precept, whenever we enter or leave our homes, we encounter the symbol of God's unity and recall our love for him. This activity shakes us awake from our spiritual slumber, our obsession with the material and vanity, so that we recognize that nothing we gain lasts forever except knowledge of the creator of the universe. This will spur us to regain proper mindful awareness and make upright decisions. So mezuzah gives us constant awareness, constant mindful awareness of God. Anybody knows if you put up mezuzahs all over your home, which by the way, FYI, you should put mezuzahs all over your home and every single door. If you haven't yet, get in contact with me. Huh? Except the bathroom. Hey, except the bathroom. Yes, except the bathroom. Uh, that will enable you to get mindful awareness of God every single place. Now, these are just examples. Hopefully you, each and every single one of you will go home and you'll study different mitzvahs and you will learn how they can all change your life. And you can do it one step at a time. Jesse was asking, where do we start? You start with the general knowledge. These are commandments for God. And therefore the first point of the class, it's an act of service connecting me with God. You can gain deeper awareness of that relationship through meditation. And also through learning each specific mitzvah, you can also come to appreciate each, each mitzvah and how it makes you a better person and again, these are all studies that happen over a lifetime. And even when you don't understand how it makes you a better person, you have to know and believe that it is making you a better person. And therefore, don't stop. In other words, don't say, let me only start doing this mitzvah once I understand it. We first have to come to a point of faith where we say, a leap of faith. I am going to do these because I believe in God. I believe in that relationship. I'm going to do these whether I understand them or not. Uh, now that being said yeah just one second now that being said not exactly not let me do and let us hear that being said practically it's not practical for somebody to go from zero to 600 to 613 sorry it's not practical for most of us to go from zero to 613 to do all the mitzvahs at once so i'm not advocating here that every one of you if you're not doing all of them you should start doing all of them at once because change is incremental what i am saying is don't stop something just because you don't understand it yet. Let's say you started doing something and you don't yet fully understand it. Well, then go try and study it. And if you can't find the meaning for it, continue doing it anyways. Change is gradual, but that doesn't mean we have to understand everything before we start to do it. That's the most important thing that we're trying to present today. 
Know that each commandment is a beautiful opportunity to do an act of service for God. Know that each commandment that you do will change your life and who you are in ways that you may see and ways that you may not see. And therefore, take the opportunity to do every single mitzvah that comes your way. Yes, change happens one step at a time. We can only change one step at a time. But don't shy away from doing it just because you don't understand it. If you have a student book, by the way, there are many, many more meditations in here uh, that can give you other ideas of uh, ways that you can uh, find meaning uh, throughout your day. And I want to end off with this final idea. We've discovered a lot of meditation throughout this course, a lot of different ways that can enhance our life. And I think really what we can say is that most of us are not up to doing those meditations every single moment, every single day. However, what we can say is that hopefully we've gained an appreciation for the meditative experience within Judaism and its importance and its importance within Jewish practice. And therefore, if you are already somebody who's doing lots of the commandments and lots of the deeds, try and study about them and study about God to gain a deeper relationship with God. And as we've studied throughout the course, those types of meditations will enhance your relationship with God and probably fuel you to do them more. At the same time, as we discussed today, we should not shy away from doing anything just because we don't understand it or appreciate it yet. And there may be things that we will do our entire life that we may never understand, that we may never appreciate, but know that they are A, ways that we show our service to God, just as sometimes our spouses can be irrational. No, God is not irrational. But, and B, more importantly, they are things that change our life. And this is really a beautiful closing to the course. Although we've discussed a lot of meditation, the action is the main thing. Judaism is not about experience and hearing the eerie fairy and sitting on a mountaintop. It's about doing something. So what we've gained today is both the idea of studying these meditations, but also doing the action. And uh, I appreciate all of you coming throughout this journey, to, uh, you know, throughout this journey with us. And uh, I'm going to conclude going over the main points that we discussed today. We discussed that although Judaism emphasizes action over everything else, the active performance of, of mitzvot require meditation to the point that some commentaries say, if you don't have the meditation, the deed is, is not useful. We explained why. We explained because mitzvahs are about relationship with God and connection with God without appreciating that and knowing that, at least to a small extent, they are not acts of service to God. They are not connection actions. They are just empty actions. We also discussed how all, every single mitzvah has a benefit to us and uh, our actions and behaviors shape our mindset. And hopefully we'll get to do a lot of these mitzvahs and we'll shape our mindset. And I hope each and every single one of you will take upon yourself to both study more and do more. L'chaim. Thank you for coming. And uh, I will uh, turn off the recording and uh, you can all say whatever it is that you want. <laughs>